Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On PFF's College Football Show. I'm your host, Max Chadwick, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman. We want to remind you guys, before we start with this episode, please uh, subscribe to our audio channels as well. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google, whatever. Uh, we're trying to build those up as well. Leave five-star reviews there. And also, uh, leave your questions in there in that review as well. We'll get to those in a very, very... Uh, soon mailbag episode i know we always tease that we will actually get to that very soon so please uh leave your questions leave your takes in there we want to get to your takes as well uh we, we can't wait to do that so please leave your reviews there those will be the first questions that we take and then everything else we'll, we'll get from other outlets as well but Dalton, we have a loaded show today we're previewing every new year's six bowl game the non-playoff new year's six bowl game so the four non-playoff new year's six games we'll be previewing today obviously the playoff we'll be doing next week uh and next wednesday's episode we're not doing a monday episode and we're also talking about some transfer portal news. But the first thing we're talking about, Dalton, is kind of a national holiday in college football today. It is National Signing Day. This is the first time that the class of 2024 high school recruits can make their commitments official, sign on the dotted line, and become officially a part of the schools that they're committed to. So we're seeing a flurry of top recruits uh, commit to schools right now. So we'll just kind of show you who the top 10 recruits are. In the class of 2024, if you haven't really kept up to date with it, uh, at number one is Jeremiah Smith, who just signed to Ohio State, the wide receiver who a lot of people are very, very high on. So Ohio State kind of keeps that wide receiver U train going, getting not only the top receiver in the recruiting class, but the number one player in the recruiting class in Jeremiah Smith. Uh, Williams Wanary, the edge defender, going to Missouri. Uh, he's signed there as well. Ellis Robinson at number three. Ellis Robinson, the fourth at number three. The cornerback, he's signed to Georgia. Cam Coleman, a receiver, uh, number four, signed to Auburn. Uh, number five, the top quarterback in the class, Julian Sayan, is signed to Alabama. Number six is Micah Hudson, the receiver, signed to Texas Tech. Number seven, David Stone, the interior defensive lineman that is signed to Oklahoma. Number eight, Justin Williams, a linebacker who is signed to Georgia. Number nine, Jordan Seaton, an offensive tackle, the top offensive lineman in the class, going to a school that desperately needs offensive line help in Colorado, although he's not signed yet, technically. Uh, so he can uh, technically still flip his commitment if he wants, but he is committed to Colorado right now. And at number 10, the number two quarterback in this class is DJ Lagway, who actually was a national player of the year this year. He's currently committed to Florida, not signed there just yet as of recording at 1245 here on National Signing Day. But uh, we've heard some rumors that USC and Texas A&M are making very, very late pushes to get DJ Lagway in there as well. So, Don, in that top 10 right there, or maybe even someone outside of the top 10, what are you uh, most intrigued by uh, in this 2024 recruiting class? Um, I'm always intrigued by the big time guys that maybe go to the places you wouldn't expect. I really like uh, Wanary there to Missouri. They really are missing like a big time D line piece. They got a lot of pressure kind of creating it schematically with stunts and stuff. And I think the big one in the last few weeks since he committed was Jordan Seaton to Colorado with how bad they need offensive line help. But I, I think Dominic Rayola, man, going to Nebraska, flipping from Georgia to Nebraska, just such such a big, big get for Matt Rule and, and and a team that really, I think, made more progress this year than I thought they would. They're, they're really solid on defense. They're really solid on the offensive line, the run game, but they're one of the worst passing grades in the country. His uncle's the offensive line coach there, so there's a clear connection. And you just get, if they can, if they just found themselves an elite passer to go with, I, I think, a lot of underrated things that they're working with, 
they've really they've really filled a big hole with Rayola. I'd be curious to see if they make him a day one starter. I think the road is there. Honestly, they were talking to Kyle McCord, and he ended up at Syracuse. There there is nothing in his way as far as that starting job at Nebraska. It's it's a huge get for Matt Rule, and his his teams at least in college have always made a big big jump in year two. I'd be curious to see what the other dominoes are that fall in Nebraska's place here as far as far as recruiting and in the portal to just make them make them take that next step because they've been down for a long time and the one thing clearly missing this year was a quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. Nebraska right now with the number 21 class in the country. So they bring in a really good class. Matt Rule's doing a really good job there. Yeah, Dylan Rayola, man, he's he's a top number three quarterback in the class. You mentioned his uh his uncle was the offensive line coach. His dad, uh Dominic was was a, you know, all-American center at Nebraska, legendary Nebraska player. Uh, so big-time flip. He actually was committed to Ohio State. Then he flipped to Georgia. Now he flipped to Nebraska, and he's officially signed on the dotted line to Nebraska. So a major, major get for Nebraska, and probably one of the best recruits they've ever brought in uh, in Dylan Rayola. Um, I kind of want to talk about this receiver class, man. So if you guys don't know how recruiting rankings work, uh, the top 32 players in the class – are five-star recruits, always the top 32. So basically you can think of them as kind of college football's version of first round picks. And of those top 32 players, 10 of them are wide receivers. Can you imagine like a first round of an NFL draft where there was 10 receivers that went in the first round? Like that'd be insane. So last year, last year's class was kind of the quarterback class. We mentioned before how five of the top 11 overall recruits were quarterbacks, which is insane. Usually you get maybe, like we said, this right here, there's two quarterbacks on the top 11. Last year, there were five. This year, the receiver class is really where it's dominant. You got Jeremiah Smith at number one, Cam Coleman at number four, uh, Michael Hudson at number six, uh, and you got other guys right outside the top 10 as well. And, and Ryan Williams and a uh, guy who just you know reclassified up from uh, going to Alabama, Mylon Graham, Mike Matthews, Brian Wesco, Ryan Wingo. Uh, and Cam Williams and Perry Thompson, all of them are five-star recruits. Top 10 receivers in the class are all top 32 players overall. So it is going to be a loaded, loaded receiver class. Uh, and speaking of classes uh, and receivers, Auburn uh, brought in two five-star receivers in the class. And obviously Cam Coleman, who's a number four receiver, uh, number four prospect overall. And then also Perry Thompson, who's a number 10 receiver and number 30 prospect overall. So Auburn bringing in a top 10 class. And here are the top 10 classes actually currently. Uh, there's still a lot of things yet to happen. And actually the rankings are, are changing dramatically. But as of right now, again, 1250 on National Signing Day, here are the top 10 classes. Number one is Georgia, two Alabama, three Florida State, four Ohio State, five Texas, six Oregon, seven Miami, eight Florida, nine Oklahoma, and 10 Auburn. So kind of in that top 10, Dawn, is there anything that kind of sticks out to you in that uh, the top 10 classes? Um, I think in the top six, you really have the usual suspects, all the all the perennial playoff contenders. And and actually, the one thing that sticks out to me is one that's missing. And I, I'm wondering, wondering where Michigan is, uh, you know, where why they're not amongst this group. I, th- I believe you told me they're down to number 17. Yep. It, it, it makes me wonder if they're just if there's something they're lagging behind on or if there's questions about Jim Harbaugh's future at Michigan or what's going on there, because I would think, you know, Look, the goal is always to make the playoff, and that gets a little wider now when you talk about it's a 12-teamer instead of four. But these these are all the usual suspects, especially in the top six. Oklahoma's always floating in there. Florida usually gets good classes, and they have kind of issues on the field with winning with it. But why I, I'm curious as to why Michigan is lagging a little bit behind the rest of these programs on the trail. 
Yeah, Michigan right now, uh, like I said, number 17. Last year, they were number 18, too. And I know there was kind of rumors about Harbaugh not going uh, leaving after last year. The year before, they were number nine, and they kind of been hovering in that top 15, top 10 range before that. But, yeah, the last two classes, they've been outside the top 15 in both, which is kind of surprising for you know a team that's going to the playoff for the third year in a row and, and winning their third straight Big Ten championship. Uh, and usually a team that recruits really well, too. So, yeah, Michigan kind of lagging behind there, but – uh, how about Auburn, man? Auburn at number 10. I mean, they had kind of a, a solid year this year, kind of an up and down year in, in Hugh Freeze's first year. But they're bringing in some big, big time players, like I mentioned before. A couple of five-star receivers are bringing in. Uh, I, I'm really looking at Auburn right now and saying, okay, yeah, this is actually a, a pretty good class. And Hugh Freeze might be building something down there uh, at Auburn. Uh, speaking of top recruits, Don, uh, we have a, a commitment from a top recruit from last year's class, Dante Moore. The one of the top quarterbacks in the class, the UCLA true freshman, he is now transferring to Oregon, which was actually the school that he was originally committed to. And I think it was on National Signing Day last year where he flipped or or right around then where he flipped from Oregon to UCLA. Now he's going back to Oregon to presumably uh, sit behind Dylan Gabriel now next season. What do you think about this move for uh, for Dante Moore going to Oregon? I think it's a really good move. I, I think I think it's a perfect move for him to sit behind Gabriel for a year and learn and just kind of not have that pressure of being the immediate, you know, guy that needs to be the superstar like at UCLA, right? I, there are things in his game he really needs to improve fundamentally. Got an absolute hose for an arm. I, I think he's a true drop back passer. I don't think Chip Kelly's system, you know, that hyper speed kind of RPO read option kind of system was the best thing for him. Um, I think to be able to sit and watch Gabriel run Oregon's offense and, and that, you know, the pass protection is always so good. They always have weapons on the outside. They know how to create space. I think for Dante Moore to sit back, it's because he could have gone a ton of places yeah. and been inserted as the starter. And, and I think for him to look at himself and go, you know what, that's just the best place for me to be even if I'm going to sit for a year on top of the fact where they're going to be contending they're, Gabriel's going to have them in playoff contention. Oregon's always, they're going to be in playoff contention. This is just what they are. They're a perennial top 10 to 12 team. I think it's a great situation. I think for him, as long as Gabriel's healthy and productive for more to take a year off and sit back and learn this offense and then let his ability take over maybe in 2025, I, I think it's the best thing he could have done for himself. Yeah, I think it's a really mature move, honestly, because you see a lot of these top quarterbacks, they they want to go and play immediately. And, you know, for a guy like him, he's a top three former recruit. Uh, he's a five-star player. Obviously, he wants to play immediately. And he, he started six games for UCLA this year. He started off on fire uh, in their kind of easier games, and then he really trailed off down the stretch, and then he got benched uh, eventually for Ethan Garbers. Um, but I, I think it's a mature move for him saying, you know what, I can go to a, a place like Oregon where I know I can I can succeed sit behind Dylan Gabriel, learn the offense, um, and play for a really good offensive play caller, Will Stein, honestly. So Dan Lanning, man, good kudos to him. I mean, you got Dylan Gabriel, you got uh, Dante Moore after that. I mean, the next two years, at least the next two years for Oregon, is pretty set at quarterback. And, you you know, you started off your Oregon tenure as head coach with Bo Nix. So you go from Bo Nix to Dylan Gabriel to Dante Moore. I mean, that, I don't think I've seen a coach start off his, you know, tenure at a school with a better three quarterbacks than that, man. So uh, terrific job by Dan Lanning. Landing again, uh, probably the number two quarterback, maybe number three quarterback in the transfer portal and the number one quarterback in the transfer portal. You never see both. Like You usually see one quarterback go one place. And for him to get uh, two of the top guys, man, 
really, really impressive stuff. So I'm excited to see what Dante Moore can do. Maybe, who knows, man, if Dylan Gabriel struggles maybe a little bit, maybe Dante Moore gets inserted there. Uh, it'll be a really, really interesting quarterback room at Oregon next year. But I do expect that uh, Dylan Gabriel will be the guy and Dante Moore will take over in his junior year after that. And, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people kind of, when I when I said how big of a deal this was for Oregon, a lot of people were like, oh, look at his stats and look how bad he was. He was 18 years old. He's a true freshman. Like, unless you're Trevor Lawrence, like, you're not going to see true freshman quarterbacks succeed or Caleb Williams succeed at, like, a really high level. Uh, I still think there's a lot of potential there for Dante Moore. I still think this guy can be a top pick in the NFL draft and one of the top quarterbacks in college football if he hits that potential. And I think he's going to right school to do that. So uh, I think I think this is a big get for Oregon. I know he didn't play great as a true freshman, but then again, if you're playing at all as a true freshman, that should, that should be seen as a, as a success. So uh, Dante Moore, I, think, I still think, is a big-time get for Oregon. And like I said, they're set for at least two years now at the quarterback position, which is really, really good. Another guy, Dalton, who entered the transfer portal that we have to talk about, major, major name. And I think a guy who is probably going to be a projected first-round pick in a lot of mock drafts uh, for 2025, Evan Stewart, the Texas A&M receiver. Texas A&M is just leading top players right now with Walter Nolan in the portal, a lot of other guys like LT Overton in the portal as well. Evan Stewart now joining the portal as well. What would you kind of make of this move, uh, and where do you think he could really fit in? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's the headline there is is Mike Elko is really going to have to reset a lot of the talent on this yeah. team with losing so much. But no, as far as Stewart, I go at any time you have a deep threat, if you have a guy, especially a guy with SEC experience that can get over the top, you look at how he started this year, just just a machine down the field. Honestly, I, I think any team in the country could take this guy. Yeah. Honestly, you, you, I, I look at the big schools. I look at Alabama. I look at Georgia losing, you know, losing McConkey, losing Bowers. They need weapons next year, even with Beck coming back. I mean, any of the big Florida State, I, I think, is another one. They're losing their top, all their top weapons. There is nobody in the country that wouldn't want a deep threat like this guy. I, I mean, obviously, huge pedigree, first round potential, ton of speed. Not the biggest guy, six foot, about one eighty, but ton of speed can get down the field. This, this is he's going to be. He's suddenly maybe the most highly coveted recruit or receiver um, portal guy that, that you could have right now. I mean, it's just, yeah, and, and, and this has been a portal that's short on receivers, yeah. right? I mean, Colin Lacey now is already committed. There hasn't been a ton of other guys. This is the new best receiver in the portal. And I think any of the big name schools, especially in the SEC are going to be on him. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Colin. I, I just think even with uh, Colin Lacey, if you include everyone who's in the portal at some point, I still think Evan Stewart's probably the best guy in there. I, he's a stud, man. He was uh, the former top recruit, too. He's number eight recruit in that 2022 class. He's the number two receiver in that class, only behind Luther Burden III. And we all know how good he is. Uh, another, you know, for, for future first-round pick. But uh, Evan Stewart missed four games this year with an injury. But in last year, he had 643 receiving yards as a true freshman. He led Texas A&M in receiving yards as a true freshman. He actually had the second most receiving yards among true freshmen that year. Don, do you know who uh, number one was that year? Hmm, 2022 true freshman. Oh, I should. Um, we just God, we're talked doing, about him. We're we doing trivia. Him. Is it? Is it Luther? No, it's not Luther Burton. No, it's we not. just talked about him, though, last episode. You're killing me. Oh, <laughs> you're doing the trivia without Dave. <laughs> You want me to do it? You want me to tell you? Yeah, go for it. Tetra McMillan, man. Oh, of course. Our guy. See, see that? See that? <laughs> see that? Our guy. Wow. And even through and even through what Arizona was in 2022, that's really impressive. Yeah. yeah. 
Big so time. he's he's a stud. Yeah. And McMillan actually, I didn't even realize McMillan was like a number five receiver coming out of high school, too. So for all the people that say stars don't matter, they absolutely do matter. If you see like all the the top schools that recruit well every year, they're usually some of the top schools uh that are, you know, in the college football playoff and competing for the college football playoff as well. But uh yeah, man, Evan Stewart stud. And I, I really think this guy um can be a first round pick, and I think he can be a, a major addition. He's probably one of the top players in the transfer portal right now, if not the top player. So Big, big time addition. I don't know if you saw it, Dalton. Your, uh, your guy, LeJonte Webster, FAU's top receiver. He's in the portal as well. I don't know if you saw he that. Is. Yeah, he is. And that, that's a big that's a big loss for them because he really, I believe in the regular season, at least, he led the country in catches. Uh, that's 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 a huge loss because, honestly, this year he was basically their entire offense. Um, they struggled at quarterback, struggled on the offensive line, the run game. He was the one guy that really made them a somewhat respectable offense. Uh, you know, Tom Herman. Tom Herman's got a big hole to fill down there with that one. And I'll tell you, he's, he's been a really, really good player for three years, especially slot receiver, punt returner, whoever gets, whoever gets him is getting a really, really good player. Yeah, absolutely. He's so right now the rumor for him, for Webster, we're kind of getting off track here, but right now Webster is Auburn and Arkansas, the two that are really looking at him. So oh, you imagine an Auburn with what they're dude. getting at receiver now. Oh, that'd be nasty. Man. Two five stars coming in. You got Webster. Oh my God. That'd be disgusting. I don't know what their plan is at quarterback. I think Payne Thorne still has eligibility left. I don't know. Uh, but man, that would be nasty if they can get that receiving court. But yeah, so Evan Stewart now in the transfer portal. That is a major, major addition, and we'll obviously cover where wherever he goes and whatever rumors uh, that are swirling around him as well. All right, Dalton, now we'll get to the meat of the show, which is previewing the four New Year's Six Bowl games that aren't college football playoff semifinals. Like we mentioned before, we will preview the college football playoff, obviously, next week in full detail. We'll do a full, uh, long preview for both those games. Obviously, only two games that we're previewing that week, so we'll do a big, big preview for those two semifinals. But let's also talk about the uh, the four non-playoff New Year's Six Bowl games as well, because those obviously matter a lot as well. And the first one we're talking about is the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic between number seven, Ohio State, and number nine, Missouri, which is on Friday, December 29th at eight o'clock on ESPN Eastern Time. Kind of just, again, talk about the notable opt-outs in this game like we did for the best non-New Year's Six Bowl games. For Ohio State right now is currently just Kyle McCord, the starting quarterback who, of course, transferred to Syracuse in the correct move. Uh, Number in their running back, Chip Trainum. He is transferring as well to Kentucky, and Julian Fleming, the receiver, is transferring. Uh, we don't know yet. Hopefully, Penn State will see, uh, but he is transferring as well. There is a chance that Ohio State could be without Marvin Harrison Jr. We don't know what his plans are yet. Uh, also, JT Tumalo has not announced his intentions yet. Uh, Travion Henderson has not announced his intentions yet. And Michael Hall Jr. has not announced his intentions yet. So those four, we don't know. Ahmed Gagbuka is playing in this game, as well as some other top prospects for Ohio State. But Harrison, Tui Malowal, Henderson, and Michael Hall, we don't know yet. So uh, as of recording right now, we don't know what they're going to do. As for Missouri, this is their first New Year's Six game in a decade, and they don't have anyone that's opting out right now. So Missouri should be at full strength going into this game, Dolan. So what are you looking forward to most in this game between Missouri and Ohio State? Um, it's assuming, you know, obviously Harrison's the big story, but assuming a lot of those defensive guys opt in, I think it's really, it's a game of Missouri's offense versus Ohio state's defense, right? If Ohio, well, Ohio state will, will be running a backup quarterback out there, probably Devin Brown. Most likely. Yeah, it will be Devin Brown. Yeah. 
Okay, then then I think you're going to see probably an even more conservative game plan than the ones they ran with McCord, and it's going to be about keeping it a low-scoring game, right? Ohio State this year is a defensive team. I'm curious to see where Missouri's at and, and with their offense, because it's funny, the first half of the year, real high-flying, Luther Burden, obviously the screen game after the catch, but getting down the field, they were very explosive. And the second half of the year after they lost to LSU, they turned into a team with much more balance, a lot more running, um, Cody Schrader just putting the team on his back at times, man. It, I mean, I, I'll give you the example. The first six games, he had 95 carries, just about 16 a game. The last six, 143, closer to 24 carries a game. They they leaned on him. You know, their pass protection wasn't quite as good the second half of the year. Cook was holding the ball a little longer as a result. And they just, they, they just became this team. It was more running more play action off of it not asking cook to do too too much and they're still the fifth the fifth best run blocking team in the country so i'm curious to see what angle missouri comes in this game with with an extra month to prepare luther burden was playing through a hamstring issue later in the season that kind of hindered the explosiveness at times it just wasn't as common as it was in the mm-hmm. first half of the season are they going to go? Are they going to ride Schrader and try to be physical with Ohio State? Are they going to try to spread them out and maybe try to work burden up the seams as they often have? Or I would like to see them work more of the screen game because they kind of got away from it the second half of the year. I was really impressed early in the year with the variety and just the effectiveness of their screen game, and they kind of got away with away from it. Part of that, I think, was Burden's injury. You know, he basically didn't play in the Kentucky game. I think he played in the, maybe part of the first quarter and then was just done for the day, and they won anyway. And that was really a big day for them because they found out they didn't have to ride Burden to victories. They could get on Schrader's back. They could run the ball. Really good offensive line we've talked about. Javon Foster should be getting some first-round hype. This is – this is I'm very curious where Kirby Moore – goes with this game plan especially if ohio state's d-line is fully loaded that's really the matchup for me does he feel like his offensive line can be as physical as as tuimolo and jack sawyer and those guys up front or is he gonna let cook stand back there and throw it over their heads first to set up the run yeah yeah my, my biggest match i'm looking forward to is is still on that side of the ball it's missouri's offensive line against ohio state's defensive line uh, Missouri has had an incredible offensive line. As you mentioned, Javon Foster, one of the top left tackles in the country. Connor Tolleson, their center, uh, has been one of the best centers in the country as well. The entire O-line has really been really good. Uh, Missouri's offensive line as a unit has earned a 79.1 grade this year. That only trails Oregon State and Georgia among Power 5 offensive lines this year. So Missouri is the third highest graded offensive line in the Power 5 this year. Uh, and their 85.9 run blocking grade is second among power five offensive lines trailing only Oregon state. So they've been a really, really good run blocking unit, creating holes for Cody Schrader to run through. Um, But you go against Ohio state defensive line, man, Ohio state's defensive line is the second highest graded D line in the country, only behind Michigan this year. So Ohio state has superstars on that line between two Malawau, Jack Sawyer, Michael Hall, Jr. Tyleek Williams. Uh, They've had a really, really good D line. So, I, obviously, Tui Malowau and Michael Hall Jr., whether or not they play is a huge X factor in this matchup. But even if they don't play, I still think it'll be a really, really awesome heavyweight bout that we get in the trenches as well. The other thing I'm looking forward to, obviously, is what Devin Brown looks like because he hasn't really started uh, a game yet in his career. He's kind of played sparingly um, in his career. He's had 89 snaps total 
Uh, he suffered a pretty serious injury against Penn State, but he is actually recovered in time to play in this game. But yeah, like I said, 89 snaps in his career, former five-star recruit coming out of high school. In fact, on three, not the industry rating, but on three themselves, they had Devin Brown as the number one overall recruit in the class coming out in 2022. So he might be the guy next year. With Ohio State kind of striking out on everyone else in the transfer portal between Riley Leonard going to Duke, Cameron Ward, uh, obviously probably pretty much down to Miami or Florida State. It seems like Ohio State might just be saying, okay, we lost Kyle McCord. We got to go with Devin Brown now. Again, there are worse options than Devin Brown. He's a former five-star recruit, so he's got talent. Uh, But we'll see now. I'm really interested in seeing our first kind of extended look at Devin Brown in this game and how he looks against Missouri and a really good secondary Missouri as well. So I'm really excited to see what uh, what Devin Brown can do in his kind of first start uh, for Ohio State. Yeah, I'm with you. And look, this is a good Missouri secondary he's throwing into. If if Marvin Harrison plays the new ma- the new best matchup might be him versus Chris Abrams drain. Yeah. Look, this this Missouri secondary is really good. This is a big test and they bring I've told you before, they bring a lot of pressure in kind of weird schematic ways, a lot of stunts, a lot of blitzes, a lot of simulated pressure. They they present a lot of problems up front and especially Ohio State in the interior is not the best with pass protection. Missouri I'm betting right now is scheming ways to, to mess mentally with the interior offensive line of Ohio State. And for, for a quarterback making your first start, this is not this is not the most fun team to want to check, you know, check protections and, and find the right guys hot and do do those sorts of things. Because Missouri, they're they're designed to mess with you up front, yeah. you know, and, and they're adding talent now on the recruiting trail. But they this is this is a hard this is a hard first start. On top of the part where you may have to keep up and find a way to score 30 plus points against an explosive Missouri offense this is, this is a tough task for Devin Brown and he could prove a lot in this game if he plays well yeah and honestly he could prove that if he plays well he could prove hey I'm the guy next year I'm the starting quarterback for Ohio State next year you don't need to worry about getting a transfer quarterback or anything like that so I think it's a big big game for him not only for them winning the Cotton Bowl for that for them in the future and for his future at Ohio State as well so I think it's a big game as one well. honestly a Mecca Buka against Chris Abram will still be a great matchup even if Marvin Harrison Jr. opts out either so should be a really, really fun game. I'm really looking forward to it. Dawn, who do you think ultimately is winning the Cotton Bowl? I, I just, I, I have to, you know, I think a theme in these bowl games, and it's going to be like this every year now with the portal, is just who am I more certain about? And in this game, I'm just more certain about Missouri. This is the same Missouri team that's played all season. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, there's no opt-outs. There's no portal. There's no, this is, it's the same team. It's Cody Schrader. It's Brady Cook. It's Luther Burton, Javon Foster, Abrams Drain. It's, it's it's their team. Ohio State just has so much uncertainty. Even with Harrison, if he were to play and Tuimoloa were to play, and 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 they were mostly loaded, they're still the team with the backup quarterback. Yeah. And and if if Ohio State's going to win this game, I think it's it's going to be low scoring, seventeen thirteen somewhere in there. But I, I I like how Missouri's looked against SEC defenses. I liked how they I thought they played a very good game against Georgia. It was just at Georgia and that's Georgia. I mean, what are you, what are you going to do, right? I thought their offense looked good against Georgia, Schrader especially. They have balance. I'm curious to see what Kirby Moore, you know, pulls out of the bag with a month with well, about 3 weeks to prepare. It, it's I I just am more certain about Missouri. I'm going to take Missouri 31 to 24. Okay. Yeah, I'm taking Missouri as well in this game, 27-24. And I'm really looking forward to next year because every New Year's Six game next year will be a playoff game. So that'll be good. At least at least the New Year's Six games will at least matter uh, a lot more. And, and you won't see opt-outs, and you shouldn't see at least too many transfers 
uh, that won't be playing in those games because obviously they're playoff games. But I'm taking Missouri as well. 27-24, uh, magical year for Missouri, man. And I agree. I think their their office is going to do enough. They're they're the loaded team. You know, they're, they're the team that has is at full strength right now. Whereas Ohio State is going to be without some key players. You know, they're without one of their top running backs in Chip Trainum. They're without one of their top receivers in Julian Fleming. And they're obviously without their starting quarterback in Kyle McCord. So and that's, and that's right now, at least, you know, there still could be more, like I said, down the line with, with some other four key, key players that might opt out of this game still. Whereas Missouri, you're not really have to worry about that too much. They're all kind of, you know, playing in this game and this game matters a lot for Missouri. I'm sure a lot of Ohio state players are kind of disappointed. They're not in the playoff right now for Missouri. They're happy, man. This is like, yeah, we're in our first, you know, near six bowl in a decade. Uh, this is a big deal for that program. And I think this might matter a little bit more to them. Uh, I think that they are going to cap off their magical season with a cotton bowl victory over an Ohio state team. That's on a back quarterback, like you said before. So uh, both taking Missouri in this game, which still should be a great, great cotton bowl. Hopefully this is another great game. Dong's I'm actually going to be in attendance at this, this game with uh, my family. It's my number 10 Penn state Nittany lions against number 11, Ole Miss in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, uh, which is at noon on Saturday, December 30th. The opt-outs in this game for Penn State, as of right now, is just Chop Robinson. Chop Robinson announced that he's declaring for the NFL draft. Uh, could be a top 15 pick. Well, I think we have him at number 11 right now on our big board. Yeah, number 11. Uh, he's a 92.5 grade since last season, which is third among all edge defenders in the country. Uh, and actually, I don't know if you saw this, Dolan, but Ole Miss uh, head coach Lane Kiffin, who has one of the best Twitter accounts, so follow him if you don't already. He actually, uh, in Chop's post, when we, tw- we tweeted out these opting out of the bowl game, Lane Kiffin quote tweeted and said, congrats on a great career. Kind of like a wink, wink, like, hey, thanks for not playing against us in this game. But uh, yeah, Chop Robinson not playing in this game. Uh, as of right now, that's kind of it for Penn State, because right now, Olu Fashanu said that he will be traveling to the bowl game, but he has not decided yet on whether or not he's going to be playing in the bowl game. So he is practicing with the team right now, but we don't know if he's going to play in the bowl game, but he is traveling to it. So maybe he does play. Uh, and Kalen King also has not announced yet what he's doing. And they are both top 50 prospects on, on the big board as well. But Ole Miss, uh, there really isn't anyone. There isn't anyone that's in the transfer portal. There really isn't a top prospect either for them that's opting out either. So Ole Miss, kind of like Missouri, uh, is kind of at full strength going into this Peach Bowl. So what are you looking forward to, Dolan, in this matchup between Penn State and Ole Miss? This game is about whichever team gets the run game going. I'm going to take the Ole Miss angle on this. We've seen it. You know, their their offense runs through Judkins and Bentley and then the play action with Dart. Jackson Dart's one of the best play action passers in the country. Uh, not really close to one of the best drop back passers in the country. Lane Kiffin gets very creative in his run game, very creative in the pass game. A little bit different than a lot of teams do it now where most teams kind of take the, I want to call it the Kyle Shanahan approach of attacking over the middle and after the catch. Ole Miss throws it down the field, down the sideline. So Kalen King, if he does play, is going to be challenged in this game to not give anything up over the top, right? Now, the problems that Ole Miss has had in their tighter games or their losses to Alabama and Georgia is their run defense. Look, we talked the other day about why they're loading up so much in the portal in the middle of their defense on the D-line and at safety and at linebacker. This is why. Because their run defense is – it was the difference in their season, right? They could have won – at least the Alabama game could have kept themselves a lot tighter in it because you can't just win one way. You can't just win with explosive plays and, and not, not being physical with certain teams at some point. And Penn state's as physical as it gets, right? They're the 11th. They have the 11th best run D grade in the country. They play big 10 football and they're third in the country in cover grade against play action. So there's a lot about Penn state's defense that causes that's, that could cause Ole Miss some problems. Now chop Robinson, not being in there. That's that's a win for Ole Miss for sure. Yeah. It's 
especially if they get themselves into drop back situations. But I'm looking at Ole Miss needing to run the ball well on early downs. Now, Judkins had a great game against Mississippi State, forced 15 missed tackles, which might be a season high for anybody. I'd have to look at it. When he's on, he's really on, and they and they get, along with Ulysses Bentley, when they get this run game going, then Lane Kiffin gets in the play-action bag, in the trick play bag, in the read option bag, all of that stuff. He's I, Again, I think he's the best play caller in the country, but they have to get to it. On the other side, I mean, we've just seen Penn State's offense be inconsistent all year, but this is a game with an Ole Miss team that's 73rd in run B grade, and really has not been good in their primetime games against the run. They have to get Allen and Singleton going, right? Yeah. You know, and and I think another story here with Penn State is they're, you know, you mentioned Robinson as the opt out, but they also have already lost both coordinators. Yeah, right. You, you've got True. you've got fired the offensive coordinator, Manny Diaz, is now at Duke. I, I mean, you're you're talking about a team with so no coordinators without their best defensive player. They really need to get on the ground, control this game in the run game, which gets even tougher if they don't have Pashanu. You know, Aller, I, we like Drew Aller a ton, right? But it's just not been consistent enough, especially on the outside in the passing game, to think that they're going to stick around in a high-flying game. They need to win the same way they've won all year. Defense, Allen, Singleton, grind it away, be more physical. That's that's Penn State's road. But it's going to be about whichever team gets their run game going first, especially on early downs. Yeah, my matchup is kind of a broad matchup, and honestly, it sounds like, yeah, no dub, but it's like, dude, it's just almost his offense against Penn State's defense. Like, that is, is a really broad matchup, like I said before, and you did a great job of kind of narrowing it down, but it really is. It's one of the top offenses in the country with one of the best play callers against a really, really good defense all around, too. Uh, Penn State led the nation in an EPA for play, uh, and were one of only three defenses in the country to have 90-plus grades in coverage, Run defense and pass rushing. All three phases of defense that we grade, they had 90-plus grades in all three. So they were one of, uh, only, like I said, only three defenses to do that. Uh, Penn State will be without Chopper Robinson. I think it's a great point you made, too. Vanny Diaz also not coaching in this game. He's now Duke's head coach. Uh, so it's another big loss for Penn State, who actually um, just hired Tom Allen. I don't know if you saw that, Dolan. Tom Allen, Indiana's yep. former head coach, Penn State hired. So another former head coach Penn State bringing in as a defensive coordinator because obviously Manny Diaz was at Miami as the head coach before we came over to Penn State. So kind of hopefully uh, another one they do right there. I, I love the hires that James Franklin's made this year. Obviously, Kansas offense coordinator coming as well. Um, I do think it will still be a really good edge group because Penn State is really, really good at edge. Uh, Disa Isaac is a really, really talented player. Uh, he's had like an 82 grade this year. He's the other edge defender for Penn State. And then another guy who I'm really, really excited about to see, especially next year, Deny Dennis Sutton, uh, who is a five-star recruit coming out of high school. He's graded out really highly on the snaps that he's played. Um, he played about 378 snaps this year. He had a 75.7 grade. So he's a freak athlete, former five-star recruit. Uh, he's going to be one of the starting edge defenders next year, obviously with Chop Robinson leaving. So I'm excited to kind of see him in kind of his first true uh, starting role against Ole Miss. I still think it's going to be a really good, talented defensive line. But Ole Miss, man, they're top 20 in the country in overall grade, passing grade, receiving grade, and rushing grade. The only place where they're not, you know, good at on offense is the offensive line. They are 84th in pass blocking grade this year and 68th in run blocking grade. So like I said, even though Chop Robinson is not playing, and that's a major loss for Penn State, don't get me wrong, I still think Adisa Isaac and Deny Dennis Sutton can create some havoc in the front for Penn State. So if Penn State's defense 
I don't think you need to get in the game where you, you rely on your secondary to cover all Miss. Because like you mentioned, Lake Kiffin and those receivers and Jackson Dart and Quinchot Junkin, Ben, they will beat you if you let them. I think you got to win this game in the trenches for Penn State. And I think even without Chop Robinson, I think there's an avenue for Penn State to do that. So ultimately, Dolan, who do you think is winning the Peach Bowl between the Nittany Lions and the Rebels? This was maybe the hardest game to pick the entire bowl season because of the contrast in styles and both teams being really talented in their strengths and what they do. Um, I, I, I'm, I've been back and forth in this, and, and Penn State does have an advantage in the trenches, but I'm going to lean towards Ole Miss. I, oh. I think I, – I, yeah, I know. I know you're going to hate it. But <laughs> I, I think this game, this game is intriguing, I think, too, because these are two programs in very similar states. They're, they're quite – Penn State's clearly the third best team in the Big Ten and with more competition coming in now. Yeah. Ole, Ole Miss, you could very well argue between them and Missouri as the, as the third best team in the SEC – both lost to the two elite teams and, and just kind of just kind of trying to establish themselves. It's very possible the winner of this game could walk into next year as a top five team. Right. Yeah. I, I think I think this is the right game for both these teams to be playing, to be playing a, across from a motivated opponent. You know, this year, if there was a 12 team playoff this year, they would have both been in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Ole Miss with all of the transfers coming in. They're loading up for next year. Penn State trying to figure out the coordinator situations, trying to surround Drew Aller with more, right? These are two teams in a very similar – I think this is a huge game. This might actually be the biggest game when it comes to, like, ramifications for next year out of any game in this bowl season outside of the playoffs, right? So – I'm, I think I'm leaning Ole Miss, though. Um, I, I, I love Penn State's defense. I think Chop Robinson is a big loss because their pass rush, to me, is their best asset. Yeah. And I, I don't think – they've seen good offenses. Michigan ran the ball every single play. Ohio State basically threw a slant to Marvin Harrison every single – I don't think they've seen an offense this weird. And yeah. Lane Kiffin's even weirder when you give him three weeks to sit around and think of things. <laughs> I mean, he's – you know, it's, it's kind of there's, – there's a ton of diversity. Now, again – Penn State's Avenue, punch them square in the mouth, score first, play defense, make Dart drop back and throw the ball. You you know, you'll be set, right? Win a game 21 to 17, something like that. But I think there's, there's always just something in these spots about Lane Kiffin that it's hard for me not to believe in when he's got extra time to prepare. The more time he has to watch the tape, I, I think the more creative he gets. I think he finds a way to get his athletes the ball in space the misdirection, I, I, and honestly, it's hard for me still, especially if Fashanu is 50-50 or not going to play or going to play yeah. limited snaps or what have you. It's hard for me to trust Penn State's offense, and this is still a not the best SEC defense, but it's a reasonably decent defense. Like they, I, I think, and especially with more time to prepare, Penn State's going to have to be. There's one road I see. Just be really, really physical. If they score first, Ole Miss is in trouble. But I'm going to take Kiffin. I'm going to take Ole Miss. I'm going to trust offense over defense this time, and I'm going to go 27 to 20, Ole Miss. All right, I'm obviously picking the Nittany Lions here. I'm, I'm taking them 28 24. I couldn't, I couldn't go against the Nittany Lions. I do think that's a great point that you made. I really think these are two very similar programs in that you're kind of. Listen, Penn State's losing some talent this year. Don't get me wrong. Chop Robinson, Olu Fashanu, uh, Kalen King, they're going to lose some really good players. They're bringing back a lot, though. And you look at the rest of the Big Ten right now, Oregon, maybe save for Oregon, because they are going to be really good. The rest of the Big Ten is like, 
Michigan could be losing Jim Harbaugh. Maybe they lose JJ McCarthy as well. Ohio State, what the heck are they going to do now without all these receivers? And obviously, Ohio State always reloads, but they have a question, a big question at quarterback right now. Uh, Washington losing a ton, obviously. Michael Penix Jr. gone. Roma Dunze gone. All the all the other receivers gone as well. I think it was an after Penn State. I think you're, Penn State's probably looking ahead to next year saying, hey, we have a lot of guys coming back. We have Drew Aller coming back, who's probably the best quarterback in the Big Ten heading into next season. Uh, maybe Dylan Gabriel has an argument for that as well. But you're looking at that and you're like, man, we could we could make a run for the Big Ten title. Look at Ole Miss. We just talked about it in the last episode. Ole Miss is probably going to be a top-five team in the country in the preseason rankings because of how they're bringing back everyone. And they're also adding a ton of talent in the transfer portal. I think they've been the best team in the portal so far. And – like I said, they feel like a they feel like a Florida State where they bring back everyone from a, a top 10-ish team like Florida State was the year before. And Florida State made the jump because they brought back everyone and they brought in a lot of talent and now they should have been a playoff team. I think Ole Miss could make that same jump, man. So I think these are two teams that are kind of looking ahead to next year and getting excited about the prospects of what next year could be. Uh, two underrated quarterbacks, too. I think Jackson Dart and Drew Aller do not get enough love. Um, I'm really excited for this game. I think it'd be a really, really fun game. And like I said, there aren't a lot of opt-outs in this game either as of right now. So I'm taking Penn State 28-24. I think they win the battle in the trenches. I think they punch Ole Miss in the mouth, like you said. I think they win this game. And little fun fact, Dolan, if Penn State wins this game, they will be the first school in college football history to win every New Year's Six Bowl game. No school has ever won every New Year's Six Bowl game in their history. If Penn State wins the Peach Bowl, which they haven't done yet, if they win the Peach Bowl, this will be, they'll become the first school ever to win every single New Year's Six game. So I think, that, I think that's a pretty cool history right there Penn State could pull off uh, if they win this game. All right, the next thing we're talking about is the Capital One Orange Bowl between two schools that have a gripe with the college football playoff committee because if you're going by most deserving then florida state and number five would be going in and if you're going by best then most likely number six georgia should be going in as well so two teams that are kind of you know a little pissed at the uh, college football playoff committee right now and dawn we actually have some interesting recruiting news that happened between these two schools the number one safety in the country kj bolden number 13 overall recruit he was committed to florida state and literally five minutes ago flipped from Florida State to Georgia. So some big news there uh, in this game, and not only this game, but uh, for big news for those two programs, Florida State loses their top recruit and Georgia gains the number one safety in the country in their recruiting class, which is already the number one recruiting class in the country. So some interesting kind of news between those two schools as well as Florida State loses their top recruit and Georgia gains one uh, in KJ Bolded. But for this game, obviously on Saturday, December 30th, 4 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. The opt-outs in this game for Florida State is a lot, man. You got Trey Benson, uh, the running back, star running back, declared for the draft. Johnny Wilson, their star receiver, uh, declared for the draft as well. Jaheim Bell, star tight end, declared for the draft. Les Harris is in the transfer portal. Fabian Lovett uh, is in the is actually also declared for the draft. Jared Verse declared for the draft. DJ Lundy, uh, their linebacker is in the transfer portal. Bless Harris going to TCU as well. Now, we don't know about Keon Coleman yet. Uh, he hasn't announced his intentions yet, but uh, it is a lot of guys that are opting out of this game for Florida State, who was already, I mean, obviously Jordan Travis is obviously not playing this game either. So they're on their back of quarterback and Tate Rotomaker. For Georgia, surprisingly, right now it's not a lot. Jamin Dumas-Johnson, uh, they're, they're one of the top linebackers. He ended up transferring to Kentucky, uh, so he obviously will not be playing in this game. But other than that, there hasn't been anyone that's opted out yet, and that's including 
Brock Bowers and Amarius Mims. Now, no, neither of them has said that they are going to play in the bowl game, but not they also haven't said that they're not playing in the bowl game yet. So we'll keep an eye on that as well as to what their intentions are. But right now for, for Georgia, it's just Jamin Dumas-Johnson, while as, whereas Florida State is, is going to be without a lot of their top players, especially offensively, uh, and Jared Verse as well, obviously, too. But what are you looking forward to, Dawn, in this Orange Bowl between Florida State and Georgia? Um, this is this is tough because you've got – I mean, you've got one team – I think you, it sounds like you have one team in Georgia that's pissed off and you have Carson Beck. The biggest news of the week is Carson Beck coming back for another year yep. um, instead of going into the NFL draft. And he really, the way, you know, the way he announced it and the way he really sounds like he's loading up to try to win one as a starter, right? Florida state from Mike Norvell's comments, uh, I believe it was yesterday or two days ago. Uh, they, they just sound dejected, man. It's yeah. It's hard. I mean, no verse Benson, Bell, love it. Wilson, 50-50 on Coleman, 50-50 on Braden Fisk. You lost uh, DJ Lundy, starting linebacker to the portal. Bless Harris, offensive lineman. Obviously, you know, this team fully loaded with, we're assuming Tate Rodemaker in there, would have had a tough task beating Georgia. Even with Jordan Travis. I mean, yeah. I might have called it an even game, maybe. I still might have favored Georgia. This is, um, th- this is tough. I-, I mean, I think we're really... I think with the amount that Florida State is going to have, especially if Coleman's not playing too now, the amount that they're going to be missing, um, it it feels like it makes this game a little unfair. Um, and, and everyone like, and the worst part about it for me is everyone's going to come out and they're they're going to come out of this game most likely and and go, oh well, look, we told you about Florida State, and and you look at it, this is basically next year's team. Not even, not even like a, it's yeah. just in between team that's lost a ton of key pieces. Now, if there's a matchup I was looking for, I, if, if, as long as Florida state, you know, I've, I've been raving about this secondary in recent weeks, you know, especially yep. their group of corners, Renardo green, greedy Vance, central Cypress, just fantastic players at one of the best groups of corners in the country. Um, I, I think if there's a guy who could really help his draft stock in this game, I think it's Lad McConkey facing a group like that. If you've got, got the press man abilities of Renardo green, especially love him. I'm not going to lie to you. He's, I think he's one of my favorite corners in this draft. Um, I think McConkey is, even if Bowers, like, let's say if Bowers doesn't play and Beck has to really rely, you know, like they did for a couple of games on the receiving core. If McConkey can go out there and torch a group of corners like this, I, I think we start having some real, like, top 50 discussions about him. I believe he's already in there for Trevor Sikama, but yeah. he's, he's a fantastic route runner. He's an excellent uh, he's got excellent hands, underrated speed to get down the field. I think I think this would be a fun test for him against a, a group that that likes to play a lot of man coverage. That probably between them, I would say between them and Alabama, have the two best groups of corners in the country. Um, I, that would be where I'm looking at if we're talking about like raising draft stock and doing all that. But otherwise, it's just Florida State is missing so much especially offensively that it's, it's hard for me to imagine that, that they're going to be the motivations already an issue. And now it's just, it's hard enough to play Georgia fully loaded. Now these are big, big names. These are some of the biggest names in college football they're missing. So it's, it's just not the same team. No. And do they put up 16 points against Louisville with 
everyone else. I mean, Rotomaker obviously wasn't playing in that game, but Ed, everyone else is playing in that game, and they still only put up 16 points, and Georgia's better defense. I mean, Louisville's got a great defense, but Georgia's probably got a better defense than Louisville. So might not be too pretty either for uh, for Florida State offensively. Uh, my matchup was exactly that, was Georgia's passing game against Florida State secondary. Um, Carson Beck, like you mentioned, is coming back to school. Major, major get for Georgia to bring him back. One of the top quarterbacks, not only next year's draft, but also maybe the top quarterback in uh, college football going into next year. Uh, 91.9 grade. That only trailed Jaden Daniels and Bo Nix among FBS quarterbacks. And both of those guys were Heisman finalists. So I think you could have made a case for, for Carson Beck to be a Heisman finalist too. He was that good. But like you mentioned, man, Florida State, 93.8 coverage grade, uh, their secondary this year. That's only second to Alabama among FBS schools. So they've been terrific in coverage this year. And speaking of Alabama, Beck's worst game this season was against the Crimson Tide when he had a 67.5 grade. So similar struggles could be in store against the Seminoles, especially if, like you mentioned, his top tight end, Brock Bowers, doesn't play. I'm excited to see what Lyman Conkin can do if, if he plays as well. We don't, I don't think we've heard about him yet. But he, like I said, he's number 34 on uh, Trevor's board right now. So if he has a good game against Florida State secondary, you might have uh, first-round conversations, honestly, about Lad McConkey. So I'm excited for that. And, yeah, it, it's unfortunate, man, that we're not seeing a lot of these top guys from Florida State. But hopefully they can still put up a fight against the Bulldogs. But ultimately, Dawn, uh, what is the uh, – who do you think is winning this Capital One Orange Bowl? It it just I think it just has to be Georgia. The the yeah. difference the difference in talent without all these guys is it's just too much. Um, you're you're really talking about what very well could just look like FSU's second team outside of maybe the secondary against against a mostly fully loaded even without Bowers. We've seen them win games without Brock yeah. Bowers. They can do it. Um, it, it it's just too much. I with. Without verse, and if if they're not going to have Fisk also, there's not a ton of pass rush. The Georgia offensive line is really good in protection. Beck gets rid of the ball. Uh, they just and, – and again, I think the difference emotionally too, like Georgia – Georgia sounds more pissed off that yeah. they feel like they're still one of the four best teams. Florida State, you know, and, and I, it's kind of Mike Norvell kind of implied this himself. They, they just they just sound dejected, like they're having a hard time getting getting up for this and and, yeah. and, and I, can't, I can't blame them I don't no, blame honestly them. yeah and and i i just think i'll i'll take georgia honestly probably i'll take them 38 to 6 i i this is just rough um I, the one thing i hope doesn't come out of this game is all of this oh oh see we told you about florida state this is not this is not, this is not florida, state. florida state team no this no. is not 13 and 0 florida state this is florida state's backups and in all likelihood i look i hope for their sake i hope they play a, a, a decent game it, it's just the talent difference is too stark yeah we'll see uh what's your final score you're going with in this game uh, I'm, I'm gonna go 38 to 6 <laughs> yeah I, yeah I, it's just there's just not i it's just not i mean you look at their offense i mean travis benson bell coleman wilson the only one we're even 50 50 on playing right now is coleman and i i, I wouldn't bet on it yeah yeah, I'm, I'm taking George as well. I'm actually, I'm listen, I, we're objective on the show, obviously, but I think for the good of college football, it would rule if Florida State ended up winning this game. Um, but man, without all those guys, it's tough. And I want to put this out right, right now. I think with Tate Rotomaker and with obviously this full stable of weapons, everyone else, I think they could have, they definitely could have been uh, contenders in the college football playoff because I think they could have, you know, played with Michigan. Michigan would not be able to throw the ball, I don't think, on them. Uh, I think they could have put up good games. So I think this whole thing about Florida State not being able to be, 
you know, be one of the four best teams. They wouldn't put up a good game against any of these other. They absolutely would have with this with this secondary and with all their stable of weapons. But now without all those stable weapons, it's going to be tough, man. So I want for the good of college football, it would rule if they beat Georgia, even on all these backups to kind of give the middle finger to the college football playoff committee. But uh, I don't think they could do it. And I think Georgia for the fifth straight year is going to win a near six bowl. So Georgia, I got 27-17. I'm keeping it a little bit closer. Uh, just gonna, I want to see if far as they can, you know, maybe make some magic happen. But man, it's t- when you lose that many players, it's tough, man. And they're already down Jordan Travis. Now you just take away basically the entire offense and then your best defensive player. That's that's gonna be tough for Florida State to recover from that. So both taking Georgia uh, in that game. The final uh, non-playoff New Year's Six Bowl game that we're talking about is number eight Oregon against number twenty-three Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl, which is at 1 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN on Monday, January 1st, New Year's Day. For the opt-outs in this game, uh, Troy Franklin, uh, Oregon's top receiver, one of the top receivers in the country this year and one of the top receivers in the NFL draft, he opted out and he is declaring for the draft. Jackson Powers Johnson, uh, the best center in college football, the Remington Award winner, uh, he has opted out as well to declare for the draft. And Kyrie Jackson, Oregon's top cornerback, has opted out to declare for the draft as well. Now, on Liberty's side of the ball, you got Kendy Charles, uh, who is one of their best interior defensive linemen. He's in the transfer portal. And Preston Hodge, who was a all-conference USA cornerback for us here at PFF, he is in the portal as well. He actually ended up committing to Colorado. So Colorado, another big get for uh, for Colorado, getting that secondary with Travis Hunter still there. That's a big, big get for Colorado. But they're going to be without Kendy Charles and Preston Hodge. We do know, though, Bo Nix and Bucky Irving will be playing in this game. Now, I'm not sure how long Dan Lanning will keep Bo Nix in the game. Obviously, he doesn't want to ruin uh, his drafts up with an injury. I'm not sure how long Bucky Irving will play. But we do know Bo Nix and Bucky Irving want to finish out the season with them. So they both will be playing in this game. That's a big, big get for Oregon. But, Don, you this is what one game that you told me that you're really, really looking forward to. Uh, what are you looking forward to most in this Fiesta Bowl? Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to just tangent real quick. I, I love that Preston Hodge fit to Colorado. That's great stuff. Yeah, man. man that's wow. I mean, imagine next year, him and Travis Hunter on the outside. That's a yeah. oh, man. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. As, as I dug in this, this was actually the most fun tape study out of all these look Liberty's offense is really fun to watch. And, mm-hmm. and I think, and look, they've, they've got things I'm telling you right now, that that could bother Oregon State's defense. All right, let, let me let me dig in. They've kind of got like Jamie Chadwell. It's a little different than he ran at Coastal Carolina, right? It was at Coastal. It was kind of like pistol, like a little more true triple option. Didn't have as much speed. There's a lot more speed on this team at Liberty than he had at Coastal Carolina. That's first. So, what what is it that they do? Okay, they the one thing I noticed looking they they run they run the hell out of the ball first. Of yeah, all. Okay. they. They run the third most run place in the country this year. Caden Salter, excellent runner. Quentin Cooley's the engine man, ninth in the country yep. in rushing grade, a physical beast. He can make big plays. He's one of the he's probably the best back in the country you've never heard of. All right. And then Caden Salter is also he's the best play action passer in the country. Okay. A 92.6 passing grade on play action. 17 big time throws, 23 touchdowns. All right. C.J. Daniels, eighth in the country in receiving grade at 89.1. This is the play-action target. Find him down the field on either a deep crosser or a go ball, and this is the way we do things. Now, what makes Liberty's run game so good? Because that's going to be the focus for Oregon's defense. Really, on both sides, 
And Oregon, we know Oregon runs right at you with Irving and James, and then they get the play action going with Nix, although Nix is better in the drop-back game than Salter. That's a big difference. But mm-hmm. without Troy Franklin, now you've got a different game, right? I mean, you still have – I assume you still have Tez Johnson yep. in there. That's a big deal. And I could – he was probably their best player against Washington in the conference championship game. But looking at Liberty and their run game, okay – it's very much so they lead the country in pull lead plays when you're talking like pin and pull front side pulling like or even things when you talk about like when they talk about the Eagles with like Jason Kelsey pulling mm-hmm. they run more plays like that by far than anybody else what their version it's kind of a group of five version of Kansas State's offense and in a lot of categories um, with pull leads, Kansas State is second right behind them. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's, that's the most similar offense that I had for this. And, and the way you stop that, and nobody's been able to do it that yet this year, although albeit a soft schedule, they still went 13-0. This is where it starts, is with these pull lead plays and Cooley getting in the alley and then a read option thread on the backside with Salter. There's just so much diversity in this run game. And, and I think Kansas State's the right comp. It's, it's literally, think about if Oregon was playing Kansas State in this bowl game instead. It's, it's a lot like that, okay? Now, how do you stop that? Really what it's about, and I think Oregon's strengths on defense are inside with Brandon Dorless, yep. right? Like, you can't, it's very hard to run right at them. But this isn't a run right at them situation. How you stop teams like this is you really, really need your linebackers to go and to fit it well. And the linebackers are actually... This, they are the weakest part of Oregon's defense, okay? You know, I, this is something I hadn't looked. They haven't played a whole lot of heavy run teams, but Oregon's linebackers are 101st in the country in run defense grade, okay? Wow. And they haven't seen a t- – like, they've only seen, like, so these pole leads I'm talking about, whether it's a G block on the front side or mm-hmm. a pin and pole, stuff like that. They haven't seen a lot of that, but I kind of expanded that to just anything – with guys who are pulling on the offensive run, like power, counter, a little bit of that. Washington did a little pull lead on them, especially in the first game. And I found they're actually, their linebackers are the eighth worst group in the country defending plays with pulling linemen. Wow. So you've, so you've got you've got a thing, because the, the thing with Oregon's linebackers is they're, they, they wait too long. Yeah. Like you can't, to make, to fill gaps when it comes to defending like counter and pin pull and things like that, your linebackers, they have to go, they have to take the right angles. You know, I remember a game where you had a team that didn't do that. I mentioned earlier in the year is like, it was a big problem when, when Ray Davis ran for three bills against Florida. A lot of that was Florida's linebackers, just not getting there. Oregon's linebackers kind of have the same problem. They wait too long and they watch the ball instead of watching the line, right? If your linebackers are playing things right, they're reading the offensive line. They're not reading the football. Yeah, it's not you. You just stay gap sound and you read the line and you get where you need to go. Their their linebackers wait, and if you wait against a team like Liberty with this run game, and you're watching the football because there's a ton of there's a ton of ball action going read option, triple option, still RPOs and bubbles and stuff. This this run game can cause Oregon problems. I'm telling you, there's misdirection, and if you if you are late, I, I think this is the best way I can put it. If you're late against Liberty's run game, you're going to have a problem. There's going to be creases because their their run game really works away from the strengths and to the weaknesses of Oregon's run defense. I think Liberty's offense could make this a big – and now without Kyrie Jackson, 
you've got C.J. Daniels. If he gets over the top once or twice, I think you have a real ball game here with Liberty's offense. I love that break. I, that's insane, man. That Oregon's linebacker. It kind of reminds me a lot of the – when I was watching the tape of the Kentucky-Florida game, I remember when Ray Davis just went wild on Florida. A lot of the same thing. It was just Florida's linebackers just late. And, and, every time. And, I, and I think Kentucky's run block grade was like in the low 60s. They, they didn't maul them. It's no. just when I, when I watch that tape, Florida's the same thing. Florida's – they were late. You, yep. you can there are times when you watch Oregon's linebackers against like power and things with pullers, the ball snapped and there's like a full second before they even move. Yeah, they're they're, they're watching. You can't the one thing you're taught uh, second and third level defenders. You can't watch the ball. You can't you can't watch. You can't stare at the quarterback because yep. you'll be late to where you need to be. All of a sudden you're sealed. All of a sudden there's an alley. All there are going to be opportunities for Liberty's run game to in this game. And if they do and they get in that room, and then you let, if you let C.J. Daniels get a step on you in the secondary, you got a problem. I, I, I actually – now I got questions about Liberty's defense that we'll go over, but I think their offense could actually keep them in this game. Yeah, and, dude, honestly, you talk about the, the run games, you know, that's kind of the big matchup is that these are two elite run games. Oregon right now is tied for second in the country in run in run rushing grade, and Liberty is fourth in rushing grade. Uh, so two top five teams running the ball this season in terms of grading. Bucky Irving obviously is playing in this game. He actually forced the most tackles in the Pac-12 this year. Uh, elite, elite running back, Bucky Irving, is he's a kind of a smaller back, but, man, he is great, great contact balance, and he bounces off so many tackles. I love him for the NFL draft. I think he's one of the top guys in the NFL draft and kind of a weaker running back class this year. I think he's definitely one of the top guys. Liberty, though, you mentioned it. Quentin Cooley and Kane Salter. It's not like you could just focus in on the running back uh, and kind of just take away him because Cooley led Conference USA this year in rushing yards. He had 1,325 rushing yards. You know who was second in rushing yards in Conference USA? Caden Salter, his quarterback, who had 1,086 rushing yards. So you have the top two rushers in Conference USA. They're going to be on the field at the same time in every play uh, in Cooley and Caden Salter. So those are two guys that you really need to keep an eye on uh, in this game if you're Oregon. And also, I think uh, Liberty had another running back, too, that was like, uh, eighth or something like that in, in rushing yards. So they have like a three-headed monster at, uh, at running back, at, at, excuse me, in the run game. But uh, And also Oregon and Liberty, you mentioned the run defense. They're both outside the top 35 in run defense grade as well. So Oregon and Liberty could both have some success here on the ground. So ultimately, Dalton, in a game that a lot of people are kind of assuming is going to be one of the bigger blowouts of the New Year's Six Bowls, you kind of convinced me right there that Liberty might stand a chance in this game. Do you think the Flames pull off the upset? And do you think for the second year in a row, the uh, the New Year's Six Bowl, the Group of Five team will win the New Year's Six Bowl? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take Oregon. I, I'm I'm gonna take them 42 to 35. I I don't think this is the blowout. I think. I think this could be – I think Tulane and USC kind of set the precedent last year. I think this could very well be um, a major problem for Oregon's defense and and a really tight game. Uh, I think we could see very early on if Liberty gets this run – if they get all of the dimensions of their run game going, I'm telling you, it's very, very much – and by the numbers, and even reminds me of Kansas State. They get that run game going, you've got an issue. You've got a real issue. Uh, Cooley's talented. Salter's talented. You know, uh, there there are debates about whether it should have been SMU or Liberty in this spot. Uh, there is not a debate that they're both really good teams. Now, Liberty, I'm, I'm going to trust Oregon's defense to find it just a little bit more, especially if they can force Liberty into third and long and make Salter drop back. If you get in a non-play action game, 
not as good. They don't have a ton of receivers in the drop back game to work with. And Salter's just not, you know, it's just so much better with play action than it is without. But if I'm telling you right now, Max, if Liberty gets set up early in this game in their run game, this is a problem for the second level of Oregon's defense. It is. I'm going to take Oregon 42 to 35. Bo Nix is still playing. Tez Johnson's still playing. Oregon's still really good. And they've, you know, their only two losses are to Washington twice. But I think this game will be closer than people think. Yeah, I, I'm going to take Oregon in this game as well. I think it's going to be a little bit uh, more lopsided, but not too much. I think Oregon wins 40 to 24. I think Bo Nix caps his career. Now, I do think that I think a really interesting part of this game is how much Bo Nix plays, whether or not Dan Lanning is keeping him in the game for the entire time. Also, their backup quarterback in Ty Thompson is uh, transferring as well. So Oregon will be on the third string quarterback. I believe he's a four-star true freshman. Uh, I think Austin Novus has his name, but um, if Bo Nix doesn't play the whole game, then that could really open the door for Liberty to pull this off. Uh, and I like Caden Salter a lot, man. He was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. He actually went to Tennessee initially. Um, then he transferred to Liberty before spring practices even started, actually. Um, but he's a talented quarterback, and I think Liberty's going to wow some people with their run game this year. And I think Jamie Chad was really building a really good thing down there in Liberty. So I'm taking Oregon think, in this game too as well, but yeah. I think too, I, I think there's, this game has a lot of consequence for Liberty too, because I, I think there's a big contingent, maybe I might be in it as well, that SMU should have been here. But now that you've got this group of five playoff spot, right, starting next year, is is the preseason rankings, is that going to have, now, SMU is going to the ACC, so that's that's not a thing. They're, you know, So next year, you know, I look at teams like UNLV, like Memphis, like Boise State, like Fresno State. Some of the – you know, I, I talked about USF might be a sleeper with Byron Brown. But Liberty, if they win this game and they're currently – where are they, number 22 or are they higher than that? Uh, 23. Where, 23. If they win this game – where do they start? Because if they lose this game and their strength of schedule, I have a feeling they may not be ranked going into next year. Maybe 25 out of cur- – if they win this game, where do they go into next year ranked? Probably pretty – I mean, Tulane – what did Tulane start at? Tulane started at uh, – let me see preseason poll right here. Because uh, Tulane beat USC, and they brought back a lot. I think you at Liberty is probably bringing back a lot too. Tulane started at number 24 in the preseason ranking, which is the highest for a group of five team. So oh, right Liberty, around there. They would be higher than that. I, yeah. If, they, if, if they're bringing this whole crew back, I, I think you you talk about they almost have to be the favorite just based on the rankings, right? And and I'm taking a look at their schedule right now. Just out of conference, yeah, they'll probably have to go undefeated because out of conference, you're only looking at East Carolina, App State, and UMass. They're not, not playing any Power Five teams again. So my assumption is they'd have to go undefeated again, but if they bring this whole crew back, it's, it's hard to think not because conference USA just isn't, it's, it's arguably the weakest conference in the country. Yeah. But I, I would be curious to see if Liberty were to pull this off where, where they would go into next year ranked. And, you know, if they have, a big advantage over every other group of five team on the, in the inside track for a playoff spot next year. Yeah, they probably do. I mean, they want two lanes losing Michael Pratt. Uh, so that's, that's a big loss for them. So yeah, I think Liberty might be the, the group of five team that even if they lose and if it was in a close game, they might still be the favorite. Cause like you said, SMU is now a power five school, so you can't count them in as anymore either. So uh, yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a really interesting storyline too. And I'm excited to do our, uh, our way too early rankings that we'll do, 
I think right after the national championship game, I think we're going to try to post it. Uh, I'm really excited about that. And we'll see what we have Liberty in there as well. But yeah, I'm taking Oregon in this game. I think it'd be a really good game as well. But that's what we got kind of for our uh, big episode today. Obviously going over National Signing Day, some of the top recruits there, some of the top classes, some of the top transfer portal news, and then obviously previewing the uh, the non-playoff New Year's Six Bowl games as well. So obviously with Monday being Christmas Day, we will not be uh, posting a Monday episode, unfortunately. So we want to wish all you guys a happy holidays. Make sure you guys you know spend time with your families and friends and have great times with them. On Wednesday, a week from today, we will be dropping our playoff uh, preview, which obviously is going to be a massive episode previewing uh, both the game between Alabama and Michigan and Washington and Texas. And I can tell you right now, Dalton and I have been talking offline about it. Uh, we have some takes for both those games. So I'm very, very excited to get into that uh, as well. So uh, again, happy holidays to all you guys and make sure, please again, subscribe to the audio channels, leave your reviews there, leave your questions there, leave your takes there. We'll get to them in a future episode. We'll get to very soon, but we're coming down to the end of it. Dalton, we just finished our near six preview. And after this, we only have three games left to preview, man. It's the big ones, the semifinals, and the national championship games, man. So we have some major episodes coming down the line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's what we got. So for Bruce Eli, Bruce Dalton Wasserman, for Dalton Wasserman, excuse me, I'm Max Shadrick, and we'll talk to you guys next time.